Hello and welcome to Film Club. My name is Megan and I'm joined by Isabel. Hello, welcome back. Hi, Isabel. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for listening in, everyone. We decided we'd like to do a little episode about uh, like just reflecting on 2020 and the films that we watched this year. We you know, it usually makes sense to do like a top films that we watched that were came out in 2020, but there wasn't that many. And we just wanted to discuss the films that we watched because, you know, 2020 was a big one for us cinephiles, wasn't it, Isabel? It was. I really feel like I got my cinephile on and I hadn't done that in a very long time and kind of rediscovered my love of movies and that I really love the medium of film. I'd been watching prior to lockdown or prior to COVID, had been watching a lot of television and a lot of throwaway television. And just coming back to the medium of film has just been like a homecoming. Like it's just, I just love movies, but also just like I love TV as well, but I just think there's something about film that I just prefer over the medium of television. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, oh, definitely (laughs) one of the, the great gifts of lockdown was the watching of the movies so many movies and on that note also we're both on letterboxd (laughs) and so is george he's sitting today out by the way but he'll be back for the next episode with our adam sandler experts but um yeah so anyway that was really fun too i just want to shout out to letterboxd because in lockdown just being able to log movies on letterboxd was really satisfying it was so fun and it was really nice also keeping up with what you were watching and what other people, you know, of our close friendship group were watching. And it was a nice way to connect and it was a nice way to, because I had deleted my letterbox and remade it. And it was really nice during lockdown to engage with that community and engage with just people who love cinema so good i have to say isabel i've been really missing your letterbox reviews because lockdown lifting you're sadly not posting i'm not posting as much no i'm not watching as much as well which is sad i should try and really keep up the habit again because i i was really watching almost a movie there were some weeks where i was watching a movie every night and it was great but then after a while i was like I need to actually live my life <laughs> and not, not live in the movies. Not live yeah. in the movies. Yeah, there was totally a point where I was like, fuck, like I would just kill to actually be living in one of these movies. Exactly. Not just sitting passively watching them. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. yeah, such a huge year for... I, I watched so many films and so many films that I've watched are now my favourite movies. (gasps) Like they're my favourite movies of all time. Oh, my God. Just exposed to a lot of classics as well. You know, we've all got that 
list of classics that, you know, I'll watch that another time. Like it never feels like the right time to watch a masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's, I know. And that's, again, with the lockdown, that was like, I feel like so much of what I want to do is watch these great works of cinema and I just for so many years I'd just be too busy as you said to actually engage with the like be really present with Mm. you know some Bergman films or whatever Um, yeah totally it feels and that's I think that's been a really positive thing about um 2020 is I think just kind of a reset of kind of my attention span a little bit because we're all kind of forced to slow down our minds and I think yeah just life before 2020 was quite exhausting and you know I'd watch a lot of throw a lot of ASMR a lot of but also a lot of throwaway TV that I wasn't really getting much nourishment from but it was really just you know, you need that throwaway TV to like reset your brain. But now mm. I had more time to actually actively engage with film, which has mm. been such a pleasure. And yeah. it is something that I want to try and upkeep a bit more. Because I think prior to that, we would go to the movies and I was more up to date with more modern movies that came out. But I wasn't watching films that much at home by myself. Um, but yeah, it's been just so lovely to re-engage with it and I can't wait to share my list and now I'm I'm kind of making last minute alterations, I feel like, because I forgot the film that I watched that I love. Well, I, I have, I personally have one, two, three, four runner-up movies outside of my top ten. Okay, okay, yeah, I think I'm going to do, um... Yeah, I'm just making really last minute alterations. Sorry, guys. No, <laughs> that's oh, cool. Like, I've got I, two, I've no, got I'm going to make an well. alteration too because there's literally like nine of the films on my list are films I watched for the first time in 2020. And then there's one that I've seen a million times, which I'm going to remove now because I realize it doesn't really fit with the list and replace it with a different one. Okay. You know, lists are hard, aren't they? They're so hard. Um. So we're gonna go. We're gonna go from ten to one, and we're gonna take it in turns. Okay. Are we gonna t- talk about our runners up first? I've got two runners up. Or should the runners up go at the end? Go at the end. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So, Isabel, what is your top ten? Yes. So what, I mean, ten off. of your ten. Yeah. Ten. Yeah, so starting off with number 10. So this seems like maybe that this film is quite low on the list. But for me, this year, a big revelation was Mike Lee. Um, And it's very hard for me to choose just one Mike Lee film because I just think of Mike Lee and I think of his entire universe. Like, I just feel like all of his films are so connected. And he's become, even though he's, one of his films is on, is on number 10, I feel like he has become one of my favourite directors of all time. And I have 
admire him and have so much respect for him and I can endlessly be immersed in his universe and I just have I'm very inspired by the way that he works the way that he works with actors and just think he's an incredible filmmaker and an incredible writer so number 10 is his film Another Year <clears throat> but I watched a lot of his I watched Life is Sweet I watched Secret and Lies All or Nothing like I watched a lot of his films and they're all excellent like they're all it could have been any one of so it's basically just Mike Lee, Mike Lee's filmography <laughs> at number 10. But I've chosen another year because I think that's a particularly special one, but I think all of all of his films are special. Um, but I just think also a revelation for me is Leslie Manville. And I just think she's an incredible actress um, and she gives an outstanding performance in another year. Um, particularly, I think, uh, just the subtleties of depression and how I think she plays someone that is struggling with depression, especially being a woman over 50. And, you know, another year really deals with the themes that life isn't always kind and the way that you live your life can catch up with you and it's no one's fault sometimes that things kind of turn out the way that they do and Leslie Manville is kind of a woman in her late 50s and she's still single and she just doesn't have a kind of a groundedness and a stability within herself and it's contrasted with Ruth Sheen um, and she's in like a stable marriage and a stable relationship. And it's kind of the contrast between these two women and how, you know, getting older is hard and sometimes getting older alone is really hard, especially if you are wanting to share it with someone. So that's kind of what this film deals with. And, uh, you know, Mike Lee, I just think he's a genius. And I just feel like every film that I watch of his is like a cathartic experience. Like, I feel like I'm going through a therapy session with these characters and I love it. I feel like a better person for watching his films. Just the, my love of humanity. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I mean, um, honestly, I'm very surprised it's number 10. I know. I feel like at this point, I just I haven't seen another year but oh my god even just after what you described and what you've told me about it cannot wait to watch that film I um I thought I might just like while we're on Mike Lee talk about my Mike Lee choices which were actually number four wow uh, <laughs> I um just you know I'm um I wrote down all or nothing from 2002 and Secrets and Lies from 1996. Are they both at number four? Yeah, they're just like yes. my Mike Lee nut. I like I had to put them together. I know it's hard, right? It's really hard to rate all of them are masterpieces and all of them feel like they're siblings. Like they can't kind of, they need to coexist together. Like all these characters, I feel like I can just picture in England just walking down the streets and they're just, yeah, there's something so special about 
his filmography as a whole I feel like yes yeah yeah I feel yeah honestly I don't think I've from watching All or Nothing or Secrets and Lies I can't I don't even know if I can think of any other director that exudes so much compassion towards I agree the characters in their movies like holy moly it really it unravels you to your real soft human core you know it just and I love I actually love I read this thing and it was like um like when you think of Fellini's films like like you think of Italy when you think of Ozu's films you think of Japan and Mike Lee has that for England oh so yeah he just and all of his stories are quite simple but the kind of the subtlety and nuance of human existence he just gets it Mm. and but I think that's because he works so closely with his actors and because you know he organically creates the scripts with his actors so they're so they're so involved as well and I think that's where you can find those nooks and crannies of human behavior rather than maybe going from a more clinical just the laptop to the rehearsal room Mm. you know it's not going from the laptop or the typewriter to the rehearsal room it's organically being created with real life actors which is just that is the most human thing isn't it well that's well that's what's so amazing is that they're so relatable because the scenes and the moments the drama that he discovers in kind of very everyday kind of mundane experiences of the average type of person you know working Mm -hmm. at the supermarket or driving a taxi you know it's the the magic that he finds in those moments with the interactions between characters and it's it's very I and so yeah you can tell that it's very collaborative and that it's bringing in so many people's own experiences of life yeah and I think what what I love the most about Mike Lee and I think that is lacking in a lot of American cinema is that he he portrays people as they are. So he doesn't portray them better than they are or worse than they are. Because I think maybe with a lot of American cinema, there's a tendency to stereotype and to maybe villainize certain characters or to make them more humble and good than they are. And he just, he, and that's where his nuance and humanity and power lies because he's not, it's he's observational he's not trying to make these characters like these humble heroes in the in the flat in the you know the government flats or he's not trying to villainize them more he's just showing them as they are and I think that's so special like he it's very rare because he doesn't really place much judgment you don't feel like he he places judgments on these characters it's like he's just showing them in their everyday life oh absolutely that is oh yes it's truly truly everyone should find a way to just 
be with Mike Lee's work. You, you will not be disappointed. You will become a better person, as Isabel said, having watched them. Because I think what, what really, what I, one of my favourite things about cinema is that when you leave the cinema, you can then kind of apply these, this wisdom that this film has kind of presented into the way that you see your own life. Mm. And so this, I think Mike Lee's work is incredibly important because it's so empathy building. Yes. It may, it, there's, I mean, I just have to talk about um, Timothy Spall. I'm going to, I've got friggin' goosebumps. He, he, what an incredible actor. And his, the characters that he played in All or Nothing and Secrets and Lies, like in All or Nothing he plays, I would say like a depressive like philosophical type who drives a taxi and who's a father with um, two kids and they're living in, you know, government flats and he he's just very depressed and very like drinking a lot and he's depressed yeah and but and oh just there's this incredible incredible moments between him and his partner Leslie Manfield who um that scene that scene destroys you oh like and it's 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 just basically like he is not I guess kind of performing in like the most supportive or best way that a father or husband can and he's deeply sad and she's so frustrated with him and but he's but it's just she just treats him like shit like and it's but you see from both of them like what where they're both coming from and your heart is just friggin exploding watching them because it's really and I think everyone can relate to this how we can live life in autopilot and it's really I think about a family that's living life in autopilot and there's a lot of things that aren't really functioning properly and a lot of bad probably habits and ways that they interact and yeah it's a devastating scene but it's such a cathartic scene because it's so all the layers of shit and piss is coming off and yeah, there's just because I recently we rewatched it and there's this bit where he's like, oh, I switched off my phone. And she's just like, well, when do I get to switch off? When do I get to switch off? You know, every day, in and out. Oh. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking and so well acted. Like it's, an, and that's what I also love about Mike Lee and just about, maybe European cinema in general is that you see these faces that are just these real faces and you know as much as I do love American movies as well it is really refreshing to just see quote-unquote imperfect faces or bodies in movies because it's just you know movies isn't about looking good you know, and it's a lot of it has become that it's become this glamour medium, but, and that's what I guess I do respect, even though I'm not a big theatre person, you know, that it's, you get that realism in theatre, but, you know, it is actually, it's, it's sad that it's refreshing to see like real looking people on film. 
yeah ab- totally it's yeah. I think also I really mm, I also just kind of appreciate the sort of very kind of simple visual style of his movies as well yeah. I think it's so about the actors so about the their journey and their stories and I think it's so nice to watch a movie that's like I just found his work that uh, they're the only two films of his I've seen but they're just so unpretentious as well yeah like I really just appreciated I thought they were both shot beautifully but you know they're not doing any fancy shit like it's just all about those characters and I was yeah totally flawed and also one of my favorite filmmakers now too so thank you Isabel for getting me onto Mike Lee oh yeah I now I feel like I don't know what I would do without him he's become one of those filmmakers where I'm just like I don't know it feels like coming home when I watch it's like incredibly cleansing to watch a Mike Lee film oh yeah the cries the tears the tenderness oh my god yeah um okay so that I'll, I'll just say that I don't have a number four anymore, so okay, that cool. was done. Knock that one off. But I'll tell my number my number ten now, which I, I don't have too much to say, but um, uh, that is Armor Chord by Fellini. Oh. So yeah, this is a really I I um personally love this film. I laughed so much in this movie. Uh, it was my first Fellini film experience and I was blown away by how masterfully visual and kind of rhythmic and atmospheric the work was I was I was so humbled by it I'm like fuck like this is some crazy filmmaking right here um I don't have too much to say about it except that it's it's just kind of like a gigantic poem like beautiful expensive poem that just kind of really washed over me in such a beautiful way so yeah yeah thanks for sharing I don't have too much to add to that one I feel like I need to watch it again um I want to see it in the cinema didn't personally connect with that film so much but (laughs) I I've, I've yeah I don't know my taste is strange it's not babe come on yeah. all right um number nine what was your number nine I've changed again and I don't know I don't think I have too much to say about this film either but I do adore this film um it's the low budget sci-fi film by Mike Cahill called Another Earth starring Brit Marling Britt Marling, I adore her and I adore her creative point of view. She's also a big inspiration for me. I love how she just boldly fuses spirituality and sentimentality and tenderness in a really kind of brave way because I think we are a culture that kind of can think spirituality is quite daggy and those sorts of themes are a bit maybe not sophisticated and I think she I just really love her point of view and I love 
how she, every time I watch a, Brit Mar a, a film that Brit Marling's involved with, or um, I'm more thinking about the OA, I just feel super expansive and I feel really connected. She has this thing where I just feel super connected to the universe. And she had this kind of, I find another earth has this serendipity about it and this, yeah, I just felt very like I was floating in space when I was watching it. And I just felt, um, I just also love that it was quite low budget. And I think they used, they still like left, that film left a really big impression on me. And I was inspired that, you know, they made it on such a low budget and you could just kind of smell the inspiration and smell the enthusiasm of them making this kind of low budget sci-fi film that, um, that they were all so inspired by. And I just love Britt Marling and I hope to see lots more of her in the next years because I just think she's a very special filmmaker and has a special point of view and and doesn't restrict herself I really feel that with everything she does she because some of the things that she in the OA more particularly can be quite daggy like she's very into interpretive dance and very into kind of maybe things that can be seen as daggy but she I just love her boldness with it that she still just sees these kind of this beauty in fusing spirituality and fusing philosophy and fusing dance yeah she's just she's just I think she's a very exciting visionary yeah so that's my number nine thank you I'm really keen to explore more of her movies yeah I love her cool um my number nine is document 2017 documentary the work oh Directed by Jairus McCleary and Gethin Aldous. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, so the work, wow, what a documentary. It's Thank on SBS, by the way, which is great news because everyone needs to see this. It, um, so, yeah, the work is a documentary set in a California prison where uh, a male prison, I think, and members of the public, men from the public, uh, engage with a group therapy, like four day experience, I think it is, with um, men who are in prison. And the, yeah, this is an unbelievable film of watching, like just watching men with a lot of deep seated pain and shame and, you know, trauma. Um, really uh, unravel um, in front of each other in in a really beautiful, like very safe, guided, therapeutic space. And it's just, it's an unforgettable movie. And it, like, again, you'll just be crying so much. You'll just, you'll, you'll just, this is, is, is this, basically it does feel like you kind of go through the therapy journey yourself. It's such a well-made documentary, like so simple, the concept. Like they basically just document, kind of focus on a few of the different men throughout the four-day process and holy shit, so amazing. And particularly super interesting seeing, you know, men who've been, you know, in prison for many years for really horrible crimes unravel but also men you know just from like everyday men who 
have other traumas, like different traumas, and they also are going through like a, quite a similar process, but for different, you know, for different life issues. And I, like, it's just extraordinary. And mm. yeah. What do you think about that one? I love, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm. I, it's not on my list, but that doco left a huge impression on me. And I think it's, I love docos like this and I just as you say what I loved about this as well about that docker is as you kind of pointed out obviously there's a scale of trauma and some of these prisoners have been through unimaginable things but that and maybe the people that were there from everyday life quote unquote hadn't been through say as much shit or as much trauma, but that everyone does have pain and sadness and that that can be a way to connect and support and help each other. And that, that was really beautiful about it, that these men were so supportive of each other. And there was this, you know, I don't necessarily like this word, but it was a real safe space. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's so rare to see men being vulnerable and that men, you know, there's a lot, you know, and it's not in vogue at the moment, but that there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of vulnerability and there's a lot of pain in men and we still live in a culture where um, it isn't accepted that men cry or that men have pain or, and, you know, I think this documentary is really important for creating a space for that, where men have a very vast internal universe, just like women, and um, that that should just be more normalised to just create a better, healthier culture, I think. Yeah. Mm. So very appreciative that this doco exists. Mm. Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. I couldn't say it better. It's it's really, it's really very special. It's also very special that these, these men had the courage to not only engage in this process, but to allow the filmmakers to document it. Um, like what a huge, what a huge courageous thing and so beautiful. Yeah, um, definitely. What's your, did you do your number nine? Oh yeah, you did. Yes. Of course. What's your yeah. number eight? My number eight, and looking at it seems quite low on the list, but <laughs> because it's one of my favourite movies of all time, but, you know, you have to make a list somehow. Um, so it's uh, Jane Campion's 1993, The Piano. Just what a, what a movie. Just one of my favourite movies of all time. I'd never seen it before. I'd seen lots of other Jane Campion films, but I'd never seen her classic The Piano, and I... You know, visually, it's just, it's speaking directly to me. Like, it's just completely my visual style. And I just think Holly Hunter and the exploration of women's sexuality and women's eroticism and women's sensuality is a theme that I'm very passionate about and a theme that I go to the cinema for is about women's, women's, you know, women's desire and women's internal world with their bodies and their sexuality. And I think just this film explores that in such a 
incredible and memorable way and it's a film that will stay with me forever because I just think you know just all the elements are perfect you've got an incredible cast you've got an incredible location and then you've got a powerhouse director that is Jane Campion um and I just think those the the sensuality and the sexuality between Harvey Keitel and Holly Hunter is just very you know, it turns me on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in the in this in a in a very feminine way, you know, I love female directors so much. Like it runs through my veins. Like they're just my favorite. And just seeing how these sex scenes are shot by Jane Campion and seeing the feminine eye capture it is just very special. And yeah. I just love this movie. Mm, oh, yeah. I remember when you texted me saying that you'd watched it and I was like, oh, my God. Because I just knew it would be, it's like such a, it's an Isabel, yeah. It's, yes. yeah. Oh, my God. Incredible, incredible film. Oh, yeah. I actually read the screenplay over mm-hmm. lockdown as well because I just bought it from the upshop. It's in a little book. And it's so perfect. Just, yeah, perfect movie. And just, you know, 1993, you know, very important film, I think, in the history of movies. You know, I think Jane Campion has really paved the way for female, female-driven narratives and for women that are complex, that have desires, that have complex personalities and complex view of the world and yeah just love it (laughs) yeah oh so good oh yes this is so fun yeah it's really fun I realize you might have to help me talk about this one um yeah yeah number eight for me is Ali Fear Eats the Soul beautiful film 1974 Mm. Raina Werner Fassbinder is that how all, you say it? Yeah, all of your films so far have been film club films, I think. Oh, yeah, they have. Cool. Yeah, well, our film club chooses good movies. Yes. This one, if you're listening, Dylan, thank you for Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. Yes. Um, yeah, like, yeah, I feel like I need help talking about this one because it's, I don't know, it's curious. It's... I I love this film because it stayed with me for a really long time. Been think even now I've just still been thinking about it a lot. And also I must say the film in our film club that we watched before this one was All That Heaven Allows, which is a Douglas Kirk, Sirk, Kirk yeah, film um, about like a um, a widow who falls in love with her gardener right and yeah. but he's like he's not of the right class and her friends and family judge her for falling in love with this young gardener and so and that's an amazing film too but um Ali Fear eat, Eats the Soul it's yeah it's like <laughs> can you explain it sorry yeah well I think it actually um pairs on really nicely from the piano because I think some of the themes are quite similar again about women 
in particular that are older and that have maybe been thrown, strewn aside by society. They're not seen as sexual beings or they're not seen as these women are older. They, they're not seen as having their own agency, as having much value in society. And this film flips that on its head. It's about, you know, an older uh, woman cleaner who falls in love with a young Turkish man. And they develop this quite curious and unusual relationship. And it, it kind of speaks about the judgment that society places on things that people don't understand. You know, love has to be packaged in such a digestible way. It has to be so, you know, it's all about procreation or it's all about the traditional marriage. But this is about, again, about female desire, about, you know, I'm 60 years old, but I have a lot of life in me still and I'm going to explore that. And I think this film is, again, a very important movie for women and an important movie to show that women are complex beings at all ages and that sexuality and sensuality doesn't fade away. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and for me, what I love, what I love so much about Ali Fear Eats the Soul and All That Heaven Allows is just just the way, just seeing this woman with these desires and with this with this pathway which is going going with this new man and but then all the judgments and like her just basically I'm just really interested in that that character like sitting with being so misunderstood by the people you know her society her family her friends and still knowing that there's something worthy and something that she you know something that's really calling her on this other side. Mm. I really love that theme. Like even, even after, like, it was just really cool watching them back to back because they say that Ali Fear Eats the Soul was kind of a, inspired by that, by all that heaven allows. And I just feel like there's so, it's such a cool um, narrative. Like it's such mm-hmm. an amazing classic story of a person yeah with this desire and yeah people not understanding and judging and and honestly like them getting to this point where it is actually really hard for them to make that decision based on yeah based on what they're kind of grappling with Mm. and then what happens when what happens when you actually make the decision that's against your desire to to you know to appease other people I'm like, what, what happens then? You know, like, I just love, I really love those questions. Yeah. And he's, he's a really, I think, a special and exciting filmmaker and has a very distinct style. Could, in a way, you know, add on to Mike Lee understands England and maybe Werner, whatever his name is. Rainer Werner, Vassbinder. Fassbinder gets on the pulse of uh, Germany. Yeah, yeah. I he, think uh, taps yeah. into that, taps into German sensibilities and also works very closely with all of his actors and is notoriously a really fast filmmaker. 
died very young of a coke overdose, I think, you know, an exciting filmmaker in that he was such a visionary and just pumped out all these movies and didn't overthink it. Um, but has a very special point of view, I think. Yeah. 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 So cool. Yeah, I think there's there was a really interesting acting style with this in that yeah. it wasn't um overtly emotional or anything it was very stripped back and that and I think that with that that's what what really kind of got me thinking after watching it like the experience is quite strange it's like oh I've never really seen actors act kind of um a bit vacant and a little bit not robotic but just a bit yeah and then Dylan I remember said our friend said that that like that's an approach that kind of makes you think about it like you kind of fill in the blanks a little bit mm, with yeah, I think it was like a Bertolt Brecht approach I think that's honestly why I don't connect with his movies as much as I would like mm. because I love his themes and I, I feel like I love everything he's about but then I find that he lacks a little bit of humanity or empathy that I find I'm a bit distant from the characters. And I guess as a, a viewer, I, it's not my favorite. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Okay. Number. <laughs> Number seven. Um, so this, I guess, paired with Mike Lee was a person that was another revelation for me. And he's, he's, I would call him my daddy, <laughs> just to be gross. Um, and that is Paul Schrader's 2017 First Reformed. What an incredible film. What an incredible film. Um, all you haters, I haven't seen Winter Light, so shut up. <laughs> um, I adore, like, for me, my mind was just blown when I saw this film. I'd, I'd never really paid much attention to Paul Schrader or really knew much about him at all. Um, and this film, I just love, you know, he does tell the same story over and over again which is like the god's lonely men trope but you know i've said it before I, i'm god's lonely man too and that's why i love his movies his movies are about outsiders drifters people searching for meaning people searching for purpose and coming through it in this uh, breaking through to purpose in an incredibly dark way you know, um, I think his films really uh, deal with uh, the dark, numinous themes, you know, men breaking through the piss and shit in a really painful way. Um, but I'm very attracted. I've always been attracted to... Uh, to movies that are about outsiders and, and movies about people that don't quite fit in. First Reformed, 
you know, is about, it, and it's so current as well. That's what I love about this film too. It, it really grapples with environmentalism and the question of what we've done to the universe and, you know, a man of, of faith grappling with that and with how, how to move through the world knowing that the world is probably going to end. And I just think that that one scene, you know, spoilers, that one scene of him and Amanda floating is just one of the most levitating and moving through time and space is still one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen. And I just was, I felt like I was levitating when I saw it. And I just get a very specific, melancholic, lonely, dry feeling when I engage with Paul Schrader's characters and I'm obsessed with that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. I, I, I mean, I actually, I have seen Winter Light as well, which I think is, um, like, I, I think it's, it's better, but I mean, that's like one of the greatest quote unquote movies or whatever. But I loved, I particularly love First Reform because of the, the climate change theme. I just hadn't ex experienced that in a film, really. And I loved, I just, I really, I thought the performance of the, you know, Amanda Seyfried's husband was incredible, as well as Ethan Hawke, who I swear to God, underrated. Very underrated, an incredible actor. Yeah. And seems like a really cool human. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um and also Amanda Seyfried too I just think yeah. she has kind of become really interesting and but I, I do love those kind of underrated actors because they they seem like they get the best of both worlds because they're not super duper famous but they still get the awesome roles yeah that's you know, cool you don't want to be an Angelina Jolie where you have no privacy <laughs> and you're in shit movies. <laughs> I love you. I Don't do love you. Um, okay, number seven for me. Yes. The Gleaners and I, Agnes Varda. Oh, yes. This is a film I haven't seen, so I'm really excited to hear you talk about it. Yes, yes. So, yes, this is a really cool movie uh, documentary made in 2000. 2000? And I loved this and I was so excited and just really happy to watch this and to enjoy the tone of it because, I don't know, I've, I've, obviously I know who she is and everyone loves her, but I watched Vagabond and I really disliked it um, and I just didn't expect, I just thought her movies were going to be more fun <laughs> than Vagabond. I just, well, that really, I don't know. the wrong way. Yeah, rub me the wrong way. But The Gleaners and I is such a fun documentary about basically about like dumpster diving. Well, it's about these people who like search for um, potatoes in the ground. But the documentary also goes into um, these dumpster divers in Paris and just kind of it's just a super fun, quickly edited I think it's one of her first documentaries that she made um, on digital tape or video. And 
it's very lively. It just seemed like she had lots of fun making it. It, I don't know. I don't have too much to say about that also, but it just made me happy. I laughed a lot. Just, you kind of just feel like you're kind of traveling around with her. It's, it's a lot, the tone is a lot more positive and creative. I felt than than that other one of hers I watched. Yeah. She seems like a really sprightly filmmaker and just like a lovely lady. Someone you'd want to have have a coffee with, and someone you would want as your auntie. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I watched Cleo Nine to Five this year, and that did not make a good impression on me. But I'm excited to watch more of her films. Awesome. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> Just seems like a very depressing list, you know, just the films. <clears throat> but that's my taste. Okay, so number six is cheating a little bit, as in that it's a mini series by Ingmar Bergman called Scenes of a, from a Marriage. Scenes from a Marriage. Um, yeah, I. I adore this miniseries. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's incredible. Um, I I consider myself a cinephile, but sometimes I feel like I'm a bad cinephile because often I'll watch a classic and I'll go, yeah, not my cup of tea. And I feel like when I'm at a party, I have to lie and say that I adore these filmmakers that don't turn me on or do it for me. But I feel like when Ingmar Bergman comes up, I'm very genuine about my love of Ingmar Bergman. I don't have to lie. Because um, this miniseries just had me in a chokehold the entire time. It's six hours between a married couple and you're basically going through hell and back. It's, uh, it's an intense ride, but... It's just incredible. Like it's very inspiring in that it demands your attention for six hours and it's basically just a conversation between two people. And it kind of, what I love about it is that their relationship is incredibly toxic and incredibly complex and tumultuous. But by the end of it all, there's still, there's still like this karmic bond that they have that I think this miniseries does really well that despite it all and despite all the pain and toxicity they're somehow karmically linked that they can't shake there's there's this there's this energetic connection that they'll just keep and have even though that they they move on they're still so drawn to each other, even though they wish each other hell, basically in this mini series. But, and also just Liv Ullman, she's just my style icon. She's so beautiful. She's just divine. She's like a pre-Raphaelite painting, seeing her walk around in with her Swedish sass. I just, I just adore her. And I just, 
I just think it's a very heavy mini series, um, but I do love heaviness, but, and I'm a very dialogue. I love dialogue. So Ingmar Bergman's great for that. Lots of dialogue, lots of, you know, you can see like Louis C.K.'s Horace and Pete, Olive Kitteridge are all very inspired by this mini series, I think. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. So excited to see that. Yeah. It's an exhausting ride, but it's worth it. <laughs> um cool okay number six for me is was kind of a tie between a few um but it is even dwarf started small Werner Herzog 1970 um oh my god he's yeah easily one of my favorite directors I am also just like obsessed with him as a person you know I think everyone is maybe like we all could use a bit of him in our way <laughs> but no, this is this is a super cool movie oh like it's it's like being hypnotized honestly this movie it's freaking crazy but yeah it's just all of these dwarfs I suppose or short statured people um kind of taking over this this I think it's like a mental asylum I don't even know what it is but it's it's just some of the coolest cinematography I think I've ever seen is in this film. Like there's this shot where they're driving this car and then he like somehow makes the car drive by itself and then he like climbs up around the the um <laughs> the window and like sits on the top of the car and it keeps driving. Like it's just craziness. And I just I swear there's there's something, there's a poetry in Herzog's images that I've just never seen in any other work in that, yeah, because, like, really not much happens in this movie. Like, they do, there's just the main guy who just keeps going, hishter, hishter, like, he makes it sound. It's the whole movie and I can see it line out of my head. Like, what does he say? What is it? I don't even know what he's saying, but he's just, like, Rister, Rister, or something. And he just keeps saying it in this hectic, crackly voice. And I'm sorry. This is really anyone listening. It's hard to describe. Even Dwarf started small. Um, but if you've seen it, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Crazy movie. Um, but yeah, I was really happy that I was able to watch some Herzog films that I hadn't seen in lockdown. I watched. Also, another one I love is A Land of Silence and Darkness about um, a few different people who, who are deaf and blind. That's beautiful film. And Signs of Life, his first feature, which was incredible to see as well. I'm, yeah, really inspired by his kind of guerrilla filmmaking style. And, yeah. I just, I think for me, like with even Dwarf Started Small, like I actually really appreciate movies that have, that manage to, they kind of have a non-narrative, but they manage to make it super engaging because of the kind of madness of it. Mm. And that is one of his best, I think, for, for doing that and making very singular movie. Yes, love Werner. Okay. Number five. Okay, number five is Martin Scorsese's 1982 King of Comedy. Adore this film to the moon and back. 
it's just it's just hilarious and I feel like maybe I don't have too much to say even though I adore this film perfect script from start to finish Sandra Bernhardt is in it and she's hilarious I love the (laughs) I love the dinner scene that she has with Jerry Jerry Lewis and she she's basically tied him up and she's having this romantic dinner with Jerry Lewis but he's like kidnapped and she's just like doing this sexy dance for him it's just it's just such a I'm not explaining it at all I just assume everyone's seen it for some reason because it's such a classic but um it's just a really vibrant cutting edge delusional story about someone called Rupert Pupkin who basically and I really relate to this character because I actually do this when I was young and I still do it occasionally when I'm home alone is pretend like I'm on a late night show and I'm getting interviewed by a late night host and my life is fabulous and I'm friends with all these celebrities and I'm not and Rupert Pumpkin isn't either so he has these fake he's got this fake like late night set up and he's got this book with all the celebrities he's met and he's incredibly delusional and he thinks he's going to become this amazing comedian. And he is very obsessed with this late night host to the point where he starts obsessively stalking him. Um, And it's just a hilarious and Robert De Niro, like I never, you know, I feel like I'd only seen meet the parents of Robert De Niro. And I guess I just like, didn't get, it (laughs) like didn't get that he was like considered one of the greatest actors of all time because I was like meet the parents like can you milk me I was like is that really (laughs) but then like for me this year has been a big revelation in that Robert De Niro is one of my favorite actors of all time because he's like this performance is incredible like he just I think why I like Robert De Niro so much is he he has something quite unique in, in that a lot of actors don't have in that, I guess it's method acting, I guess that's what it is, is that he really taps into the energy and the pulse of a character and he can really, and he does this with R- Rupert Pumpkin, who's this delusional comedian, and he gets into like this delusion that is like pulsating, like you can really feel that he that's where his mind's at and Robert De Niro is just so like there's not that many actors that can do that that can really play a character on this like not it's not intellectual like he's really playing it on this like energetic level and uh, yeah I just adore this film I think it's fucking hilarious (laughs) can't wait to see this one it's so good also, I didn't know that you that you did that, but oh yes, a lot about you. I still do it. I feel yeah, I, yeah. Just you know, only childs. So you know, I had no friends. So you know, just pretended like I was some famous person. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay, number five for me. Okay, Andrew Bulgelski's 2002 Funny Ha Ha. 
love this film. It oh. should have been on my list. Why isn't it on my list? Well, we can talk about it. It's, yeah. Oh, my God. Freaking love Funny Ha Ha. It, it, yes. Yeah, so Funny Ha Ha is kind of considered maybe the first or one of the first Mumblecore movies. I think this director is considered kind of like the the dad of Mumblecore or whatever. Yeah, the granddad. Yeah, he, yeah, Funny Ha Ha is just this beautiful kind of yeah like slacker type of movie very low budget I think it's shot on 16 mil something like that it looks beautiful and about this I think she's maybe 26 or 27 I don't know how old she is but this this girl who is just kind of aimless in her life and <laughs> has like has some cool friends and but she really just has nothing really going on but something about her face and her performance, I I really, I felt like so much less alone after watching Funny Ha Ha. I felt, I'm just, I just felt like, oh my God, like there's so many people like her and she's like her own lively character in her own way, in her own kind of aimless sort of, you know, you could say depressing, depressive sort of like, just sort of like fatigued way of living through life (laughs) it's just it's just lovely and it's it's so funny and I mean yeah I'm just trying to think of some some moments that I really loved I think I mean also like as as a kind of you know budding filmmaker or whatever I I just appreciate seeing films like this because of how you know, I think he wrote, directed and produced this and he stars in it with her and, you know, their other friends. And it, you can really feel that this is a passion project, very cheaply made, very like kind of working with imperfections that I just love. And it's so great when it gets, when it's nailed like this. Like I actually think this works. is such a beautiful movie. Oh, it is. Yeah, like I think it's, I think it's probably my favourite out of, like, all of that genre. Oh, definitely. I think maybe a close tie for me is Tiny Furniture, but I just think, and I think with these movies, like, it's something about the energy and friends coming together and, like, it is, like, magic. And I think sometimes these films work and sometimes they don't, but this one really works and just has a really exciting energy about it. It's a great script it's hilarious, it's interesting, it's different. You you know, like what I love about it as well is that kind of, you know, what script writing or traditional filmmaking can have is that it kind of removes like subtlety and nuance about, you know, you have to know what your character wants, but a lot of us don't know what the fuck we want and have no fucking clue are just like floating through life randomly don't ever say how we feel about anything we're just talking in these like disingenuous polite and this film captures that really well like she is kind of aimless kind of in love with her friend but can't admit it and they have these really awkward (laughs) conversations and it's very true to life and it's just a really yeah it's a really exciting film I I love this movie as well it should have been on my list too 
Yes. Also, Isabel, thank you for introducing me to Funny Haha. Yeah, I felt very um, rejuvenated and inspired as a writer by this film. Like, really like the writing style and... Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun when you watch a movie and you're like wanting to get and make a film. And I think Funny Ha is a great example of, yeah, just feeling very inspired and wanting to get out there and make a film with my friends. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Number four. Um, so number four, I've chosen... I don't know if I have too much to say, even though I think this is an incredible film. But uh, this is Jonathan Glazer's film Birth, um, starring Nicole Kidman. Um, yeah, this, oh, this is just, this left a huge impression on me in a very unusual way. I think Jonathan Glazer's a really special filmmaker you know under the skin and then birth I think have a lot of similarities and I think he's really in a league of his own I felt very uh glued and fused to this film like it demanded a lot of my attention in an incredible way it's almost like a play it's and it feels like, yeah, a play or this bubble. It's quite, it's quite a small, like the cast is quite small and the story is relatively simple. It's, it's about, for people who don't know what birth is about, it's about um, Nicole Kidman is getting remarried and she has her name an engagement party and um, a little boy comes up to her and says that he is her dead husband reincarnated um and the effect it has on the psychology of the Nicole Kidman's character is complex and profound and it deals I think it uh, because I was looking it up and it has quite a low not that I go off this, quite a low Rotten Tomatoes rating. And I think it sparked a lot of controversy when it came out and was quite misunderstood um, because it does deal with, I guess, there are some, you know, scenes between a boy and an older woman that it, it doesn't go there, but, you know, it's she thinks he's her dead husband reincarnated. So it sparks a lot of intense emotions in her and um yeah I, I I got a similar feeling of when I watch a large Fontier film just a very melancholic expansive odyssey of darkness it through the female lens which is just all of my favorite elements really just put into one movie and I just think I think Nicole Kidman has said that this is a very underrated performance of hers and she's excellent in everything she does, but she's particularly excellent in this film. And I think this film is kind of a, maybe goes under the radar as well. And I think this is an incredible film that left quite a deep impression on me. Yeah. 
Yeah, what's your number four? Oh, my number four was all or nothing, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, um, oh, wait, do you want to do number three then? You can go first. Okay. Um, so oh, I'm really excited about this one. Okay. Um, Dead Poet Society. Aww. Peter Weir, 1989. This was, oh, yeah. Probably most people have seen this movie, but I had never I seen this movie. Seen it. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen it. I knew. Yeah. I this also I think I was like Peter Weir, like fucking legend. Like I just again one of my faves now because he has just so many fucking like epic movies with you know Picnic mm-hmm. at Hanging Rock and Tr- the Truman Show and this and oh so d- yeah Dead Poet Society if anyone doesn't know, is like about a boys boarding school and the young boys I think are about like 13 or 14 and they, they're all kind of creatives and they um, are inspired by the new English teacher played by Robin Williams and they're kind of, they're sort of on that path or at least the, the kind of leading young man of the film is like on a very specific trajectory of like studying I think law or medicine I don't remember what it is um you know and but he's you know wants to be an actor uh, anyway oh um <laughs> Dead Poet Society is such a such a beautiful film I was like really really deeply moved by this I think because I just love creativity so much and I think creativity is like everyone is creative and everyone has these creative impulses and desires within them and I think even though like there were I actually thought I might find this movie a bit cringe because of the sort of like how memeified this movie's become with like Robin Williams standing on the desk and whatever but he like he just plays such an amazing teacher figure like that archetype of the teacher who imparts this wisdom he has the kindest eyes Mm. he's just so I mean Robin Williams is beautiful in this but he's he's honestly not even in it as much as I thought he'd be but and then Ethan Hawke is really young in it and he's so good and like he just gets his 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 journey I don't want to spoil it and obviously people know who've seen it but um just it just destroyed me I was like actually I'll speak for George too we were both just like blubbering just so affected by it and I think made me also really appreciate the very traditional like three-act structure like very tight movie like a kind of commercial movie that's done so amazingly which is what I think Peter Weir's like kind of a a master at because I think he I think it's not like I think his movies kind of really stand have stood the test of time like they have some sort of magic or artistic quality while still just kind of being a movie that everyone could get get into and enjoy yeah and but yeah I just with Dead Poet Society watching that in lockdown I felt 
I just felt like a kid again after watching it. Like, and I felt this creativity like come over me. And I remember like did this painting afterwards. Like I was like so inspired by this movie. And it's yeah, it felt like I I felt like I was, you know, 16 years old watching Deadpool Society. Like I felt like I discovered it. It was just really sweet. That so that one's like a personal sweetie one for me. Oh, I love those ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can't wait to watch Dead Poet Society. I love Robin Williams. There's, as you say, there's something about his face that just is so comforting. And he was so loved for like good reasons. You know, he's just, yeah, seemed this incredible actor and seemed like a really cool person too. Mm. Um, great. So my number three, I adore this film so much as well, um, is Kelly Reichardt's 2008 Wendy and Lucy. Um, yeah, what a what an incredible film. It's starring Michelle Williams um, about a penniless drifter and her relationship with her dog. And I cried so much in this movie. It's such a simple story um, and it's very stripped back and it's very quiet. But there's something about Kelly Reichardt's sensitivity and point of view that, yeah, really sparked a lot of really intense, deep emotion in me. I, yeah, I cried a lot and I think Michelle Williams has an incredible performance kind of similar in a way to Mike Lee that Kelly Reichardt has these really simple scenarios and simple moments that are so heartbreaking and you can feel the depth of it all and I think that's just incredible filmmaking if you can make a movie about someone's relationship with their dog and be really, really deeply moved, that's just a marker of an amazing filmmaker. And I think Kelly Reichardt is a really exciting filmmaker. I think she's someone I get very excited about. And I think she is really in a league of her own. She's not trying to be like anyone else. She's doing her own thing. It's her own signature style. And she does it so well. Um, and I just love how she interprets nature. There's a quietness about her movies, um, but still with a lot of emotionality, particularly in this film. Um, and yeah, again, a, a beautiful story about being a woman and, you know, being a woman on the road. And there's some scariness that comes with that. Um, and she just explores it in a really unpretentious way as well. Um, and yeah, this movie made a huge impact on me and Michelle Williams is one of my favorite actresses, contemporary actresses, I think, and she's incredible in this. And yeah, just very emotional experience watching this. Just love Kelly Reichardt so much. Oh, I am so excited to see this. Yeah, we've talked about this, but yeah, certain women I really also really loved this year too. I love certain women as well. Mm. Um, I just think she's very special and I'm excited to 
yeah, she's, I'm excited to see her keep making movies. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, number two, we're getting to the top two. Yes. That's exciting. Um, okay. So my number two is the 1953 Ozu classic Tokyo Story. Woo! <laughs> I, yeah, I, um, I, yeah, obviously have always wanted to see this movie, always wanted to see all of his movies, I guess. They've always been on my list. But, yeah, this, I'm really glad. Like, I, I didn't know how I was going to receive this movie. But, um, yeah, I think easily one of my favourite films of all time now. I was so captivated by the, the quietness the just the like Tokyo Story is a film about an older couple who live um, kind of outside of Tokyo who are going visiting their family and their grandkids in Tokyo and it's basically it's just like such a beautiful premise that they're going to visit their kids in this big city and um, the city's changed you know, the kids are busy with all their different occupations and they've sort of been forgotten or they've sort of they're sort of made a little bit like the parents are made to feel like they're sort of in the way a little bit, like they come to visit. But then it's actually the the wife of their son who has died, so a widow, is the one who actually kind of befriends them and takes them around the city and shows them a good time and is just this deeply kind character who just, I don't know, I feel like I haven't really seen that many characters like this woman on screen done the way that this is done. And it's weird because when I kind of talk about her, like she's like this incredibly selfless, beautiful woman, young woman who just has this sort of wisdom, like this sort of old wisdom of kindness, like she can see through the crap of you know like productivity and working and all that shit like she just knows that it's important to like be present with with the parents who are visiting and it's just really I think I just love that like I love I love family like that's a really big thing Mm -hmm. that I love in my life and also in in cinema and I love I just think it's I just found it so fascinating watching the other kids like not you know, like be kind of have like kind of blind spots and not really be aware of the way ways that they were making the parents feel, you know, like they were not really welcome. And also just the, the cinematography, like the framing, the really beautiful kind of his signature style, like was stunning to see. I just like, I'm getting like kind of emotional talking about this movie. Um, it really... I was just, it was, yeah, I was like weeping a lot, just like really affected by kind of the, um, like for me, and I know like this isn't like a new opinion, obviously, because it's considered one of the greatest films ever made. But um, I just found this film like pristine in every way. And that was really special to experience something so like perfect, but... Usually I don't like things to be really that perfect, but this was just 
Um, yeah, and I can't wait to watch more of his films because um, from what I've read, they're all kind of, you know, explore similar themes about family and, yeah, it's really, I really recommend it. <laughs> Beautiful film. But Isabel didn't like it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just, uh, I was, I'm a moody bitch and I was in a bad mood that day when I watched it. Um, No, I love that you don't, like, I think you don't have to. That's the thing. Like, I I really appreciate it. And I I do agree with everything that you're saying. And uh, I love the stillness in that film. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I have my Ozu awakening. I haven't quite had it yet. Yeah. But it has to be genuine. That's always my thing. It's like. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I wanted to say like, cause I don't know if I got carried away when I, when I talk about movies like this, I get a bit carried away, honestly, but. um, I know, but like carried away in a way that's like, do I make any sense? But no, I wanted to say that I think that she's a really amazing character. And I think, Sometimes I think with those women, I'm like, are women like that pure and perfect? But she, I felt like she was like a really authentic character, this woman, the one that takes them around. And I wanted to say that the thing that I found most interesting and beautiful about her at the end, and and that's kind of where you find her flaw, what kind of makes her more human, I guess, is is the dad is like he can't like she can't receive take a compliment like she's so selfless that she can't even receive and I just found that really like I uh, just the movie just killed me like mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that bit but he's like you're so amazing like he's just telling her like how amazing she is and like really seeing her and she's she I don't know she just like doesn't she can't see it or receive it and I just feel like that made her like really Mm, very reflective of Japanese culture I feel like as well you know to do to be selfless but yeah I think that's quite an interesting um thing to explore because that's not positive even though we kind of honor that in society to be very like humble and not really take compliments but I think on a deeper level that's not necessarily positive because you're kind of cutting selling yourself short a little bit and not honoring yourself Mm -hmm. yeah awesome okay my number two so this is just really my taste and this film spoke directly to me I felt like this movie was made for me um and it's Joanna Hogg's film The Souvenir um yeah I just felt for me the relatability it's about a kind of insecure film student that doesn't know herself very well has a really kind of meek sense of self and um but has a passion for cinema and there's some great you'll love I think you'll really love those scenes Megs where she's kind of 
she's on a super eight and she's really just filming and just being a little budding filmmaker, but she falls in love with a pretentious older man with severe addiction issues. And because she's such a pushover, she kind of gets into a spiral of this toxic relationship. And um, it was based on, it's an incredibly personal film. It was based on Joanna Hogg's own experiences when she was at film school. Um, and it's what I love about this film as well, um, similar to Mike Lee, is that she doesn't work with a script. So she's a very organic way of working. So with the actors, she, I guess, has meetings about who these characters are, what, and um, works from there. And um, Tilda Swinton's in it as well. And they are... Tilda Swinton was in Joanna Hogg's um, film school short. So they've been friends for decades and decades. And just I've seen lots of interviews between them and the love there and the collaboration just seems so special. And that then Tilda Swinton's daughter plays the lead. And so I think that is just, I have a soft spot for that as well, that it feels like a kind of a, a, a film made with a lot of love and... Um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of support. Um, yeah, I don't know. I d this movie teared me apart. It's a tragic romance story and it's a coming of age story about a girl that has to kind of get uh, that, um, you know, her first love, I would say, and it's, it's a toxic one and kind of the effect that this guy has over her and, and it's done in a very subtle way, like it's not in your face. And it's an incredibly sophisticated, at times pretentious, I would say, actually, but pretentious in the way that it suits the story. Because some of these characters are kind of pretentious and they're kind of upper class Britain, um, very different to say Mike Lee. Um, but I, I wasn't bothered by it because it felt very authentic to the world and authentic to these people. And um, I just, I feel like I haven't quite seen a female character like her before, just someone that really doesn't know herself very well and kind of gets swept up into this toxic romance. And, you know, it's so easy for us to just sit there and just be like, just leave him. Like, he's such a dickhead. Like, he's a bad smell. Like, you can see it from a mile away. But when you're actually in that relationship, it's incredibly hard to have that power. Yeah, and it's a very, very sad ending too. Yeah, it gets sadder and sadder as it goes along. You, it's, it's quite a slow film, but it gets really heartbreaking. And it's been, um, lots of people don't like this movie. And I think because I love this movie because it, it felt like it just spoke directly to me and my own personal experiences. And I have heard some other women feel similarly. But I think maybe if you don't relate to this movie, it's not for you. So, and those are the movies I love that just kind of speak directly to me and are like pretty much made for me. And I just think Joanna Hogg is again, a very exciting female filmmaker that, you know, there's going to be a uh, souvenir too. So I'm cool. excited that as well. Oh yeah, my just, God. Yeah. I can't wait to see this. Yeah. I wonder what you would think, Megs. I think it could go either way. 
Mm. I yeah, think sometimes it, it's hard to know with us, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, I think a lot of people, this film rubbed them the wrong way, which I, I actually completely understand. But um, I just got it just on a just deeply energetic level. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yes. Okay, well, you ready for my number one? <laughs> can you guess? I wonder if you can guess. Um, Fuck. Um, no, 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 it's fine. I think I know what yours is, maybe. But anyway, oh, yeah, uh, I think my number one is 1978 Terence Mullick, <gasps> Days of Heaven. Woo, Richard Gere. Richard Gere, <laughs> Linda Manns. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, Days of Heaven. Like, okay, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fuck. Um, okay, I just... Yeah, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what is this? What is this? Like, this is, I was, I was just, I was like a mess. This movie just, and like, honestly, I'm trying to get away from the whole like, auteur, like just, you know, obsessing with auteur, the whole, I don't know, like the theory's kind of a bit bullshit, but this, I, I don't know, I feel like it's, incredibly I found it incredibly special watching this because I'd never seen anything like it it's it's like I don't know it's the I found that this movie had such a unique vision that I was really kind of just blown away by the the visionary aspects of this film and that I was, I remember just sitting there watching it, like crying, just crying just because of how beautiful it was, which is really rare for me. Like usually I just cry when it's kind of the right time to cry. <laughs> but, um, but this, I was, the I was crying at the, like the, 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 like the fire and like the sunset. Like I was just really overwhelmed by how mm. visually stunning this was. And I really, I personally, when like voiceovers done really well, when the kind of the dialogue that's used for the voiceover is like kind of poetic and I found that a lot with the this and um it's yeah just a film I've always wanted to see for like I don't know 10 years or something and I've finally seen it one of my favorite movies now mm. um I know I'm struggling to kind of come up with things to say but this film yeah it's just uh, I I have I saw it on a quite a big TV, but I need to watch it at the cinema because it I don't know just like really reminded me that we're living in the natural world mm. that you know the sun goes down like it's just so like in a very vis- visceral way like connected to the earth. I felt through watching this. Karen so, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's and that's I think. Um, yeah, I love that when cinema reminds me of this like beautiful earth that we're living on and mm. this universe and this mystery. And, you know, I love I love these like gigantic wide shots and I love these really tiny shots of, you know, all the bugs and uh, yeah. And Richard Gere, another actor that I have was a revelation to me this year. 
that, you know, when you watch, like, I, I think I watched, like, Dr. T and the Women or something. Like, that was, like, one of the only films, like, which is, like, a shit film that Richard Gere is in. And you're kind of like, why is he famous? Like, you're like, he's, like, some silver fox, but why is he famous? And then you see Days of Heaven and he's, like, you can't take your eyes off of him. He's so, this, oh, he's, I don't often say this, but he is, like, a stud like he is so sexy but in this like he has like star quality yes you watch this movie and you're like this man is a movie star mm. and also his his eyes like his eyes I felt like carried so much like depth and mystery and like those brown eyes you know like holy shit yeah he's He's a beautiful specimen. <laughs> <laughs> but also he has, I would say he has like kind of an unusual face too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's he what makes, great. you know, so compelling as well that mm, he's great. He's a man's face as well. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But it's like a fairy tale, this film. It's like a fairy tale and this, yeah, I, I, I re- yeah, um, I think Terence Malick, yeah, it's when he's at his best, you know, when he taps into the natural world and the kind of the fairy tale-ness of the world. <laughs> well, my number one, going from the beauty of the natural world to the dirty, slimy streets of New York City <laughs> for the classic that everyone's probably seen but I hadn't seen is Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. What can you say about this movie that hasn't already been said? But I usually don't like classics. I don't respond, but this film, yeah, I think this film is obviously everyone agrees with me, not everyone thinks this film is a masterpiece, but I just think, you know, it's the holy trinity of Robert De Niro, Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese and them together. It's just like a powerhouse explosion of creativity. And I just think Travis Bickle's performance is one of the one of my favorite favorite performances that I've seen. Yeah, it, it would be up there in my top five of favorite performances, I think. I just, yeah, again, I, I've touched on this before with King of Comedy, but I guess it's, yeah, it's method acting and it's something about the spark of the craziness and insanity that he touches, that you, you can see it in his body language, you can see it in his eyes, you can see it in the way that he walks. Like you, this character is terrifying, but still like incredibly compelling. And... Yeah, I just think this film's incredible. Like, I I love stories about outsiders and this is, like, probably the greatest film about an outsider, someone that is completely a societal reject and is never going to fit into society, doesn't want to fit into society, but has this uh, quest for, delusional quest for honour to save this child prostitute that is Jodie Foster. And I know, I just think it, 
captures New York really well. I think it captures the underbelly of society really well. It captures loneliness really well. It captures isolation really well, alcoholism. I was even a drunk, I can't remember. Just all those lovely themes. <laughs> yeah, I just think, and you know, I just, uh, there's something about Paul Schrader and his point of view of the God's lonely man that I just, yeah, just, just injects into my veins that I just love. So, you know, Taxi Driver, kind of an obvious first choice, but it was, I can't lie. And I just think that movie's just blew me away. Mm, so good yeah yeah cool that's our top tens yeah top 10 of 2020 lockdown yeah I I do have a few like very quick runners up I will mention them just because I mentioned them at the start (laughs) okay so my quick runners up was um uh sharp objects the series love that yeah um it's on hbo i think yeah gene mark valet he did um big little lies um incredible amy adams is incredible in it uh won't you be my neighbor documentary about mr rogers that is it's just such a sweet film if you need like to be picked up and your heart just to be you know wrapped in gold again then watch that um, and the painter and the thief, which mm. was actually made in 2020 or released in 2020 by mm-hmm. Benjamin Ree, is an incredible um, documentary that I recommend as well. <laughs> so my quick runners-up are Paris, Texas. Oh, good. Um, Columbus and Roma. I'm just that's I'm going to leave it at that. Enjoy those it. films a lot as well. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a great, great 2020 breakdown. Um, yeah, cool. Okay, well, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. It was really fun reflecting on the movies we watched this year. Yeah, and let us know what your top tens are. Yes, please let us know what your top tens are. You In the show notes, I'll have linked some information of where you can find us on social media or Letterboxd or, you know, going to get an email set up for the podcast. So I'll have that also in there. Right. Yeah. I'd love to hear everyone else's top 10 of this year as well. Yes. Yes. Or if there's, yeah, any films that were actually made this year that were good and that <laughs> can recommend. <laughs> Totally. Yay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passions.